When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, in the immortal words of Judy Brown, happiness is a choice. We're happy you're spending some time with us. Chip and Zay holding it down right here midday on Texas Sports Unfiltered. Uh, welcome in. We got all kinds of things to uh, to get to today, including that Texas basketball victory at Texas Tech last night. All kinds of layers to that story. Um, the NFL Combine is uh, is you know heating up. You got interviews and stuff going on. We'll get into that. Texas baseball wins last night, and the Texas women taking on Oklahoma tonight at 6 o'clock with Big 12 regular season title implications for the second straight year. Second straight year, Oklahoma has had a chance to earn at least a share of the Big 12 regular season title in a home game against Texas. Last year, they lost 67 to 45. Texas won 67 to 45. They ended up sharing the Big 12 regular season title anyway, because Texas lost to Baylor the next game. But tonight, OU sitting in first place. Texas has got to go up to Lloyd Noble and take care of business. After getting beat by the Sooners 91-87 in Austin back on January 24th. Zay, what's going on? What's up, brother? Good to be here. Last night was fun. You know, that's it really what was. Out. What a way to go out. Yeah. I mean, I wrote about the Brock Cunningham moment because I just thought it was fascinating. Um because of who he is, because of what that game was, because of that Texas Tech student section, because of most Texas fans' disdain for Tech fans, especially when they're at a game in Lubbock. And look, Brock is a fascinating figure because if you you talk to him, guy is funny, smart, charming, on the basketball court, he's a tough MFer. And last night, he decleated Darian Williams, who uh, who put his elbow into Max Asmus's forehead 
um, one minute into the game. And I want to get your take on that. Let's let's start with the Darian Williams charging foul mm-hmm. where his elbow goes right into Max Asmus's forehead. And it was a violent collision. Yeah. Asmus needs six stitches to close the cut, comes back with a big bandage. Did you think Darian Williams got off light? Um, I don't think you could have given them a flagrant one because he was making a basketball play. It's not his fault. Max Asmus is 5'10". You know, if you go up and do that against a 6'5", that dude takes it in the chest and it's just going to be a charge and you get back up, you know, and that's you got to drive tough. You can't drive soft. It's the Big 12. You didn't so, think he sized up Asmus's face and no. buried his elbow in it? No, no. Okay. He, he was going to do that to anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he wasn't necessarily looking out for Asmus to try to take him out. It's just a guy that, you know, other guys are able to be like Kyrie and maybe twist it and do some crazy stuff. Not everybody can finish like that. So Williams, he's a big guy, so he has to use his mask as, you know, a reason why he gets to the pain. And Max Asmus just wrong place at the wrong time. But, yeah, I – wouldn't put it past Brock Cunningham on getting that get back. Yeah. So Acemus goes out of the game for three minutes of game time, which as we know is like 10, 12 minutes of actual time gets the stitches, the bandage comes back in plays really well. Like we thought he would because we didn't think tech had the, the wherewithal to, to, send two and three guys at him like uh, Houston and Kansas did. And, and so Ace Smith, you know, finds, finds his groove again. Dylan DeZue was amazing. And I mean, Texas didn't get much from some key guys, you know, Tyrese Hunter. Um, although Hunter, you know, had played well defensively. Kendall Weaver played well. Uh, but Dylan DeZue and Caden Shedrick kind of patrolled the paint. I wanted to see more Caden Shedrick, honestly. He had six points, three rebounds, a block and a steal in like five minutes of action, and then he he was sitting. But, look, they were up 25. This was a no-doubter. And then Brock with 10 minutes, 15 seconds left, loose ball. And he's six six two ten. Darian Williams is six six two ten. They're both going full speed, and Brock lowers his left shoulder into Williams' rib yeah. cage. So and the flag targeting defensive yeah, to Williams' credit. To Williams' credit, that was a hard hit. He didn't go down. He didn't come up swinging. Brock looked away at the officials, like, what? What I do in what? classic in classic lame beer fashion. He's kind of smiling. He's kind of like <laughs> getting the crowd up. That's how you knew you got to throw him out. Like after he just completely rocked the dude's world, he's out here getting the crowd up, which then leads to throwing stuff on the court. And that's which, when we have another issue, you know, right. like. That's where it got a little, okay, it's getting a little dangerous now. And then you see Brock, 
losing his mind when stuff started, you know, getting thrown on the court and stuff. And Coach Terry loses his mind too. It's like, yo, man, this is this is dangerous, but this is what I'm gonna miss about playing tech. Like, I if you miss anything, it's their hatred for Texas and Brock being an Austin boy, sixth year alum here, Texas, like it was personal for him. It's been personal ever since Chris Beard was here and they went back and Brock was clapping out the bus and stuff like that with the fans booing them. Like, yo, Brock's been waiting for this. And yeah, it necess- wasn't necessarily the right move because Brock was playing well, but I get it. You know, I get it, especially if you're trying to get back for what happened to Max A. Smith. Like, that's your guy. You know, if I'm Max A. Smith, I'm saying, yo, I appreciate that, man. You know what I'm saying? But we could have used you for the rest of the game because you were playing some really good basketball defensively, knocking down free throws, getting steals. But, hey, it is what it is. Texas fans will always remember Brock Cunningham for this moment. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Dray- Draymond Cunningham says uh, <laughs> this Roy Tempura. Yeah. I mean, and that's – you know, Brock is uh, – Okay, that play hurt his team. Yeah. Because they were doing everything they needed to do. They were up 25. The Tech fans were out of it. Pop Isaacs was starting to heat up, but he had was over 10 in the first half. Like Texas, they they didn't Tech didn't have Warren Washington, their seven footer. Texas had him right where they wanted him. And they could have just cruised and closed out the game. Brock levels darian williams he's a wwe villain yeah heel (laughs) heel raising his hands to the tech fans they're throwing stuff at him that results in a technical on on tech and grant mccaslin has to get on the mic to tell him stop throwing stuff or we're going to keep getting technicals and then brock you know leaves the arena with his horns held high dodging debris as he's leaving the arena and then tech goes on a 24 7 run that cuts it down to a 12 point win yeah which the officials come on now 56 free throws combined with both well you knew after that they were going to call everything to keep they were already calling everything like was this big 12 basketball like it's going to get a little physical but then they really had to tighten it up after the brock situation but again if you see an elbow or something dirty then toss guys out but still call a good game like the after that 10 minute mark when brock's gone the fouls that were called on texas were very suspect you know, very suspect. And that, I feel like, led more to the comeback for them, you know, even though it wasn't a good move by Brock. Like, those refs last night, they could have been a lot better. But, yeah, shout-out to Rodney Terry, man. He had his team ready. He talked about it in his presser Sunday after they get blown out in Lawrence was the hardest practice of the year, was the most physical practice of the year. You shouldn't be having physical practices this time of the year because you want to save your guys' legs for the stretch run. So for him to go and do that and for him to say that the team, you know, was already just energized and ready to go and motivated, like he didn't have to hoop and holler and get in their shit or anything. No, he said the team came ready on Sunday, prepared to practice because they know these next four games tells if they're going to get in the tournament or not. 
So I was very happy to hear that they're having hard practices because that performance in Kansas was an absolute dud. I don't care if Washington was out last night, even though that was huge for the Horn's success. And I'm going to get to Grant McCaslin a little bit. I thought some of his coaching decisions were a little suspect, but I'll take it if I'm the Horns. But at the end of the day, Roddy Terry had his team prepared. That's what you need. We'll see if they can keep it going because, yes, that looked like a tournament team, but if they lose the next three, which we know it's like a roller coaster with this squad, you just never know what orange team you're going to get, then you're right back on that bubble as a what-if squad. And that's the last thing you want right now with how you played last night. Well, so yesterday you were you were down on the uh, – you were down on the horns. You were calling them NIT bound, and I had a funny feeling about – last night's game and i was like come on man don't give up yet so where are you now with this team getting into the ncaa tournament um eh, depends i'm feeling better i'm feeling better absolutely i'm feeling better but i'm still iffy You know, like you just yeah, because this team inexplicably is better on the road than they are at home. Right. And again, that's going to Grant McCaslin. Horrible coaching effort by him last night. Horrible. Horrible. You don't have your seven footer. So who's Texas best player is Dylan Dessou. Why aren't you doubling him? Like once that started and I'm like, oh, they're not doubling Dylan Dessou. They're leaving oh boy on the island. That's around like six, seven. Okay, Dylan DeSue looked like Carmelo Anthony last night. He was on the wing, reverse pivot, jab work, just looking around, looking at the defense. Okay, Kendall Weaver's man is helping, but he's not coming to double. Oh, Dylan Mitchell's man is helping, but he's not coming to double. All right, this guy, I'm just going to shoot over the top of him, and we're just going to see what happens. Knockdown. He did that like three times. He did that like three times. Grandma Caslin, all right, like I don't know what you're doing. If you're watching film and watching what all these other teams are doing from Iowa State to Kansas, et cetera, they're throwing a lot of bodies at Max Asmus and Dylan DeSue. So to leave their players on an island, like I get it. You want to put trust in your guys. That was a bad move. And again, shout out to Rodney Terry and the Texas coaching staff because they took advantage of that. Rodney Terry realized that early. Oh, Grant, who – he's good friends with going back to the Baylor days where Grant McCaslin was a walk-on and Roddy Terry was an assistant. Okay. You're not going to double Dylan DeSue. That's disrespect. That's what I would tell Dylan DeSue after the first time out. I'm like, yo, they're disrespecting you, bro. They think you're out here like a scrub. They ain't sitting the double. Do they know who you are? Go to work. We're going to feed you every time. And that's what they did, especially in that first half. They just kept going back to, Dylan DeSue every time, and then sometimes he would face up and hit that jumper. Sometimes he'd go to the rim. He had a nice move where he did a little fake spin in the middle of the lane and went over the top. He was great last night, and he took exactly what the defense gave him. And then I told you, Chip, get Max Acemas off the ball. All Max Acemas threes last night were catching shoots, all of them. Coming off screen, knockdown, a huge play in the second half where Tyrese Hunter has that and one finish and then misses the free throw where Dylan Mitchell gets the rebound, kick back to Max Acemas, catch and shoot, knockdown, huge. Earlier in the first half, Brock Cunningham gets a steal, dives on the floor, throws it to Kendall Weaver. No, sorry, rewind that. Brock Cunningham gets a big-time help side block, huge block, 
had the bench going crazy. Bench managers, coaches, they went crazy because Brock was at the three-point line and the ball got swung twice and he made it back to the rim to get the block, which led to the uh, Kendall Weaver push out and Kendall Weaver, great recognition, throws it to Max A. Smith and they knocked the three down. At that point, it was a 16 to three run, 35-17. Like that's, that's good shit, man. That is good shit. Like Coach Terry had those guys ready to play. Get the ball at Max A. Smith's hands sometimes. You know, like you got to mix it up. That's the chess game. That's coaching. You got to mix it up. Sometimes the ball's in his hands. Okay, all these Big 12 teams are seeing that film. How do they stop it? Okay, they stopped it. What do we do next? You got a solid point guard in Tyrese Hunter. He could run the show. Have Max Aceves going on the, off those screens, especially with Dylan DeSue setting them, because now you got to pick your poison. Do I stay with Max Aceves and overhelp and leave DeSue, or do I stay with DeSue and allow Max Aceves to come off these screens clean? You got to pick your poison and figure that out. I thought Texas did an excellent job of executing their offense yesterday. But again, going to the am I feeling good about this team making the tournament? I think that Scott Drew is a better coach than McCaslin and also Porter Mosier. I think they're going to have better preparation for the suit and ace miss, but Hey, you can only handle what's in front of you. Texas did loved it last night. Really did. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, because you had that weird situation with Dylan Mitchell, where he, Take some awkward Euro step and like that scared the rolled, hell out of me, man. Rolled his ankle and then he was out of the game for like the last nine minutes of the first half. He finishes the first half having played seven minutes with one rebound, one turnover, one block. Tyrese Hunter had two points on one shot, one rebound, one steal in the first half, but the big fellas were doing work and Kendall Weaver was doing work, Dylan, Shedrick, Brock, and it didn't seem to matter. And Asmus was starting to find his groove. It didn't seem to matter. Those guys were so locked in. And then in the second half, you got contributions from everybody. And Asmus, you know, in the second half was only one of six shooting but he got to the free throw line um you know they didn't i mean they were one of 10 from three in the second half that bothered me it was like why are you shooting threes when you're dominating down low but they uh you know they dominated in the paint they out rebounded tech 44 to 30 um you know brock was really good the bench was good weaver came in off the bench he finished with 15 points, nine of 11 from the free throw line. That was big. Yeah, it was huge. You know, that's that's the sign of a player. We talked about it. If he's maybe not quite sure what he's, you know, what he's got from a shooting standpoint, get to the rack, get fouled. I mean, <laughs> he had another shoots- air ball three yesterday. If he shoots a three, it's probably not going to hit rim. If there is a – we got bet US here. If there was an over and under on Kendall Weaver shooting the three and airballing, I'd take the over every time. <laughs> but, he gets, hey. He's he nervous when he shoots a free throw. I, I mean, yeah, for real. 
but the dude bounces back. Like the air ball that he shot yesterday, the very next possession, he gets that steal and and one finish. And you could see when he's on the ground and everybody's going to help him up and show him love and stuff, he pats, yo, my bad, my bad, going back to the previous possession where he airballed the three because he knew, all right, what y'all just saw, the and one finish, that's my game, not the three-point shot, which – I'm I'm kind of back and forth on that because even though I don't want him shooting it, sometimes you just got to make the defense, you know, think that you are or you just got to test the defense a little bit. Like if because if you shoot it and hit it, that changes everything, you know, like even if they want you to shoot it, your basketball instincts will come back and be like, oh, he just hit one. So if he hits another, that could be bad. Let me go contest this a little closer. And now he's getting around you, attacking the rim. So, yeah, I was impressed, you know, besides the comeback, which I think the refs kind of let that get out of hand on just trying to tighten it up too much because you got fans getting dragged out the stadium and stuff. Man, shout out to old dude. He's a legend, too. People are talking about how he's down bad and stuff like that. Like, and again, I feel a certain way about Tech, too. But, oh, boy, that was getting dragged out because he threw the water bottle or the fireball thing, whatever the hell he threw. Yo, he's a legend, too. He should have things paid for him in Lubbock. There should have been somebody, a booster, that got him out of prison. There there probably should be a booster, lawyer, because I think he swung on, with you? I think he swung on the popo. I think, I, you know, there's a lot of video and footage out there. I think he swung on the popo. That's, you know. And, again, it's Tech versus Texas. They're probably like, the cops are probably like, yo, son, against anybody else, you're going in for a little bit. But against Tech, we're going to give you a warning. <laughs> I mean, against Texas, we're going to give you a warning. Because it just, they weren't expecting that. Those fans have been camping out since last Friday. They did not expect the Longhorns to come out and punch them in the gut like that. How how about tech this tech student section? Acemus gets his head opened up by Darian Williams' elbow, and the tech student section is chanting loud enough for you to hear in Waco. He's a pussy. Oh, yeah. Love it. Over and over and over Hell again. yeah. Love it. And you're Hell like, yeah. mm-hmm. wow. That's what it's about. That's college basketball. That that's I love that. And you whoop their ass on the last ride. I love it. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's the wrong thing to say because he that pissed him off. You could tell. Right when he got back in the game, bandage on the eye and shit, he was th- out of bounds play. He Throws the ball in, comes off of that dribble handoff, drops a dime to Caden Shedrick that leads to a dunk right off the clip. Like that dude showed some oh, yeah. serious toughness yesterday. That's like Allen Iverson type stuff because, yo, that's me. I get knocked out. I'm like, yo, take me the concussion protocol. <laughs> Something ain't right. That's why I ain't cut from that cloth. I'm like, yo, that's my head. This is the moneymaker. Let, let, six stitches. Let me make sure everything's right. I'm gonna go through everything that I need to go through to make sure I'm cool. Max Ace was over here, like, yo, when am I getting back in the game, RT? When, when? Hurry up and stitch this back up so I can get back in the game. They calling me what? Okay, I'm gonna show you, pussy. I'm gonna show you what it is. And then look what happened. 18 points for that ass. He got out of his slump. He was making plays. Yeah, man, Max Acemus. He he showed me some serious toughness last night, which we knew he was tough, but sometimes you need an example. 
And that game, I'll always remember that game, him getting his head split open and going out there and giving those Red Raiders buckets. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, that was uh, that was impressive. That's embarrassing if you're the if you're a tech fan to have that coming across national television after your guy delivers a jackknife elbow to his forehead. But hey, that just adds to it. That adds to the atmosphere. It adds to everything that was going on in that game. And Texas was not going to be deterred at all. And that that was what was impressive. The one thing I didn't like, Fran Fraschilla was saying that Acemus was in a slump. And I'm like, Fran, did you watch those three games? Like those teams were doing everything possible to make life miserable for Max. Like it would have been amazing if he could have come out of those three games with, with double digit scoring, with the commitment they were making to take him away. Yeah. And, and as soon as that dude gets some daylight, man, he, (laughs) he works it. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah, I think Fran to Max's greatness is just putting him on the pedestal like, yo, this guy's that good of a scorer. He's never dealt with this in his life. So he doesn't think that Max Acemis can be stopped. So, yeah, this is a slump in his mind. But, yeah, you and I, we've been watching it every single possession. They're keying in on Max Acemis a ton, which, again, going to Grant McCaslin, like how much confidence do you have in your guys? Like, once Washington goes out, your game plan has to change. Because if Washington's there, again, a seven-footer that makes life very difficult for a lot of the big men in the Big 12, you could go one-on-one with a Dylan DeSue. But once he's not playing, you better double and rotate and pray that Dylan Mitchell and Kendall Weaver don't beat you. Because those guys aren't cheating. Tyrese Hunter, Brock Cunningham, those guys aren't shooters. And Dylan DeSue did a good job of making good passes when he had to, when he wasn't taking shots. He had that one play where he reverse pivoted after a couple of knockdown shots on the wing, and he faked the pass on the outside to Tyrese Hunter and then hit Brock Cunningham for a layup, you know, just moving the defense with his eyes, kind of like a quarterback that moves the safety and on one side and then throws it to the other. Like, you got to be deceptive you know, creative. You got to have a bag, man. And RT, again, coming in with a lot of pressure. People talking about his job. Everybody's saying he's on the hot seat and stuff. How's your team going to respond? Like, I, that really showed me a lot. When he said we had his hardest practice of the year in the presser on Sunday, yo, that showed me a lot because I'm over here like, dude, we need to be resting, guys. Like, everything's a walkthrough at this point. Really, we're just working on shooting and then maybe five, maybe five, ten minutes of intense play. And that's just going over the scouting report on what the opposing team does. But you should basically know, like, it's the Big 12. You're watching film, you know. You want to rest these guys' legs as much as possible. RT's like, nah, damn that. (laughs) Like, that performance that we had in Lawrence, my job's on the line. I can't choose. The players know that. They hear it. Like, I hate when players and athletes say, oh, we don't listen to the media. Emmett Smith hates your ass, probably to this day. Emmett Smith. Michael Jordan's Hall of Fame speech was one F you after another. <laughs> exactly. I mean, listen, Tom exactly. Brady, he stacked all those chips. Well, we'll uh, we'll 
we'll continue the conversation. We got some uh we got some football with our man Dan Neal, who uh lived life at the NFL combine, <laughs> former All-American offensive lineman at Texas, two-time Super Bowl winner with the Denver Broncos. Dan Neal. Dan, how <laughs> you doing? I'm I'm good, Chip. How you doing? I'm doing good. Hey, hey, Dan, you gonna miss playing tech? Oh gosh, you know, I, I, I mean, as a fan, I'm gonna miss all the games that you know were once, you know, part of the Texas community. You know, Tech, Baylor, TCU, SMU at, at a time was part of it. I, mean, I, I don't particularly like all the changes that are going on, but um, you know, I guess we're on bigger and better things. All right, did you you didn't happen to watch the Texas Texas Tech basketball game last night, did you? I I, I read about it. <laughs> Brock Cunningham, baby. He uh he I, I love like, it. Yeah, I mean, this guy, I think I think he became a fan favorite last night for for what he did, just decking that guy, you know, <laughs> in a loose ball situation. You can kind of be like, oh, man, I was out of control, blah, 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 whatever. He delivered the blow to the guy who cut open his teammate's face. I feel like he's going to be remembered for that more than anything he's ever done at Texas. He, he probably will be. Not that he has had a, a fantastic career here, but, you know, this is kind of those moments as an athlete, you do something that, that really resonates with the fans like that. Uh, they tend to remember those for a long time. Dan, Dan, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me because, good Texas versus Texas Tech. It reminded me when Tony Brackens hit the kicker. That's what it reminded me of. You, I know you remember that. That's something that you'll never forget. It reminded me when Tony Brackens laid out that kicker. That kicker got up all wobbly and stuff. Like That's what the flashbacks I had with Brock Cunningham check Williams last night. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll never forget that hit. I was standing right there. I, I mean – it was criminal what uh, Spike Dykes did to that kicker, but you know Tony, Tony, Tony's a good player. <laughs> Tony, Tony also got Makovic on a, in a sideline collision. Yeah, yeah, he did. He um, and, and I actually got yelled at by Makovic on the play because I was standing behind Makovic when that happened, and he got. I mean, Makovic just got cold clocked on that thing, um, and turned up and looked at me and blamed me because I was in his way. Was trust me, I got out of the way fine. He did not, and that's when he told us, you know, at the end of the year that he had had a concussion all year, and that's why his behavior was the way it was all season. Oh, yeah. If you want to believe that. Oh yeah. No, I remember yeah. that. <laughs> I remember it vividly. But oh um, yeah. Okay, so Dan, we got the uh, we got the NFL Combine going on, and. I love hearing your NFL combine stories. <laughs> didn't you room with Orlando Pace? No, I did not. I, I forgot the name of the guy I roomed with. He was from a smaller school in the East Coast, and he played three or four years in the NFL. No, my, my Orlando Pace stories, no one roomed with Orlando Pace. Little known fact. Uh, in the combine, I guess it was 97, Orlando Pace did not have a roommate because – uh, Orlando Pace didn't show up till the second day. So the first day you kind of fly in and you do interviews, you do a little bit of stuff, but nothing really official. I think maybe a few things. And then it kind of kicks off on the second day. And for us, the second day was at the hospital and they kind of rotate all the positions. And so he's in my position group. 
um, they break up offensive linemen in these pods, and he's in my little pod. And we're at the hospital. He's nowhere to be seen. And we're sitting in this waiting room. We're waiting to do one of the 10,000 tests they do. And we're all sitting there. Orlando kind of strolls in and sits down. And he's like, well, what's going on? And he picks up the sheet of paper that has the 10,000 things you're supposed to do. And he's looking and he goes, he looks at all of us and goes, do they want me to really do all this stuff? And we're like, yeah, you got to do all that stuff, man. It's crazy. And he kind of looked around at us and said, yeah, no, I'm out of here. Put it down, walk back to his truck and drove back to Columbus. That's how long he stayed at the combine. Then the best part about it is the guy that was running our pod, he's from the the, 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 the Raiders back then in Oakland. Uh, I forget his name. He's a former offensive lineman, great guy. He was hot about Orlando walking out on this thing. And he's sitting there the next day, and he's like, I'll, I'll tell you what, man. You watch on draft day, it's going to hurt him. You just don't do that. And, it, and Orlando fell all the way to the first guy taken in the draft. <laughs> 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 and today he's got a gold jacket in Canton. So, you know what? It worked out for him. <laughs> that is amazing. That's amazing. So they get you – because I heard Kyle Van Noy talking about it today on NFL Network, and he, he he's like, you're just exhausted. Like, Oh, yeah. And do you get the sense that they're trying to kind of get you strung out to see how you react to everything? Oh, yeah, they're trying to stress you the whole time. I mean, it makes no sense if you think about it. Is I mean, your days are jam-packed with all these physical, mental things that you have to do. And then, I mean, literally, they are up until like 2 or 3 in the morning in their area at the hotel at the bottom floor doing interviews. And the players are just kind of walking around. And the, the teams have these rooms. Like the bottom four rooms are all teams. And so their doors are open. You just kind of walk into these suites or rooms and they're doing interviews or talking to you. They're handing out free stuff to get you to go in there, swag. And you do this all night and then you're up at like five. Then you start again. And so you're just exhausted. And then they, they ask you these real poignant questions. You know, that it's like this, you know, it, tough ones. And they kind of poke you to see what your reaction will be, see if you – get stressed and you get irritable air, you know, all these things. And it's all part of the process. How you handle that whole environment is something they're watching. Yeah. Uh, have you found out like any old, just people that were in, in your life, like your upbringing that the NFL reached out to, to get information <laughs> on you? Like, did you find out like, Oh, your fourth grade teacher got talked to about how Dan was in the fourth grade. Like you have any of, those stories or people. Well, it didn't go, it didn't go back to fourth grade, eh? but <laughs> they did go back to uh, my, my high school coach. Um, now it's a little bit different because the, the coordinator for the Broncos guy named Gary Kubiak, who's from Houston and he knew my high school coach. So he used to throw with them and they went way back. So it wasn't a stretch for Gary to call him, but yeah, Gary reached out and talked to him. Uh, the other thing too is, you know, people may not realize, but there's a whole security arm to the NFL and these are all, all, FBI, CIA guys. I mean, they they know. And so when they, they say they didn't know it, that's a lie. They know everything about everybody. They know everything you've ever done. Uh, and so they have extensive files on everyone. Um, so when, you know, they they do their research, they get those files from the, the NFL. And, and that's where your fourth grade teacher's comments would be located. Yeah, it's in there. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I watched this special where Bill Parcells is talking about, you know, the NFL draft and he brought you up. 
Like yeah. he, he talked to you and, you know, he's asking you about injuries and you're like, listen, man, I just know I can play in this league. Okay. And Bill Parcells was like, oh, but he brought you up, Dan. Yeah, you know what, Chip? That, that may be one of the highlights of my life is that I had enough of an impression on Bill Parcells that he remembered me <laughs> at all, which is astounding. But, you know, the, the thing about that, which is a little bit of the, the history of it, is the Broncos actually traded up to Pickney with the New York Jets, who Bill Parcells was coaching at the time. And uh, the Jets picked a, a guy, Nick Ferguson, who you may remember from Cowboy Days. And, and not Nick Ferguson. His last name is Ferguson. I forget his first name. No Jason. Jason Ferguson. Thank you. Yeah. Jason Ferguson, who's a great player. And they picked up Jason Ferguson in that trade and I think somebody else. Well, the next year we play the Jets in the AFC Championship game. And I'm playing against Jason in that game. And, of course, we won. I think that's part of why Parcells remembered uh, there's a little bit of a history to it, and um, he, in, unfortunately, I was right on that one. I, I, I was able to play for a couple of years. Yeah, that that yeah. is legend. But that yeah. probably that probably gets to you're just at that point, you're you're just sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah, you know, I mean, look, I, I get it. You're exhausted, you know, and, and you sort of emotions spill over a little bit. And, and you know, how many times do you think I heard about my size, weight? The injuries, you know, all you hear is why you can't do it, especially me. You know, I was kind of a guy that there was questions about and and you just you just get tired of it all. And the one team, not the one team, but the team that I remember that really didn't give me a hard time was the Denver Broncos, who obviously ended up picking me. Wow. So you had an inkling? None. No. None. I know your question. Did I have any idea Denver? Not at all. They interviewed me and they and so they they'll set appointments with you. So you'll like get back to your room and you'll have this list of all these appointments you have to go to with teams. And you probably almost meet with all 32, but not all of them. So some of them never met with me. You maybe just go into the room, but you have, you know, maybe 10 to 15 or so, maybe more that have set appointments. So I obviously have some interest in talking with you. And so the Broncos were one of those 10 to 15, obviously the jets and parcels were one. I remember the Steelers, you know, a few of them that you, you go and meet with and ske- at a scheduled time. So they were just one of them. And then I never heard from them again. They, I mean, there was nothing. And, and, and you look back on it, I understand why. is why they, dra- they traded up the picnic. They didn't want anybody to know what they were thinking. So that, you know, he, they didn't want Parcells to know they were going to trade up to get me or anything like that. And maybe Parcells would have said no because he didn't want to play against me or something. You know, who knows? But um, they're very, they were very tight lipped about what their intentions were at that time. Yeah. What drills did you excel in? All of them say, <laughs> <All of them. laughs> no. <laughs> no, you know, I'm the last one of them. <laughs> no, I, I tell you, one I didn't excel, it was probably Wanderlick. I, you know, never the smartest guy, but uh. You know what? Honestly, I look back on it. I, I didn't do outstanding in any one of them. I did good enough in all of them. You know, I don't remember everything, but, you know, like the, really the 40-yard dash Broncos didn't care about. I forgot what I ran, probably a 5-1, or something. You know, that's okay. It, it, it the, the quickness drill, I always did, you know, the topper half. I did pretty well there. The bench press, I did, you know, I, I don't know, 30 or something like that. So that's okay. You know, nothing great, just okay in all of it. And 
big thing for me was health. I had some neck stuff in the knee and, you know, some, some question marks. And so, you know, a lot of teams were kind of worried about those injuries. Uh, and, um, you know, fortunately not all of them were, but yeah, those were kind of the, the things I, again, I think I just did. Okay. I did good enough in everything to not scare a team away. And, uh, the Broncos kind of knew what they were getting, I guess. Then you, you get to Denver and you find out you have, Napoleon is your offensive line coach. Oh, God. Yeah. Alex yeah. Gibbs. Yeah, Napoleon how on tall, speed. How tall, was, how tall was he, Dan? Oh, maybe three foot. I don't know. You know, he, he's a little bitty guy. And, and, I mean, he's a full-blooded American Indian, uh, which I always thought was interesting. You know, uh, he was just a little bitty guy that was full of energy. And that, that was what – one of the guys used to call him as Napoleon on speed, you know, it was just kind of how he was just all over the place. But he, he was another one of those guys. I could talk about him forever, but he was sort of like, we're talking about the combine. He wanted to put you in stressful positions to see how would react. You know, that was his whole thing. He had a doctorate in psychology and he certainly used that damn thing. Wow. Yeah. yeah Cause he, he was one of those guys who was, I don't, I mean, you describe it. Would he, would he try to shame you into doing a better job or he tried to humiliate you? Yeah. yeah. I mean, fear. he, yeah, his you know, fear is a motivator to him. He wanted you to be afraid. He humiliated you in front of everybody. And his idea is if you could handle him, you could handle the crowd on Sunday. Now, I'll tell you right now, this guy experienced that I don't agree with that whatsoever, but that was his theory. And, and I've talked to other guys that were rookies underneath him, and they all kind of said the same thing. They're like, yeah, that was Alex, you know. And most most guys, I think, handled it pretty well. I, I didn't play right away, and, and obviously I was on a really good team. And, you know, that was the first time that Alex won a Super Bowl was my first year. Um, not that I had anything to do with it. It's just saying that in the past, rookies had played for him, but obviously there was not – I did not, and so – it was really hard all year not getting a chance to go prove for yourself on the field and being told that you're terrible for 20 weeks through the, the, you know, through the Super Bowl. It took a toll on me. I, I, I didn't like it a whole lot to say the least. Yeah. The other guys in your position group helped you kind of root through all that. Nonsense. Yeah. They saved my career. You know, that first year they just all kind of laughed and had fun with it because I wasn't playing. And then the next year, I needed to play, and, and um, I have told you a story. A guy named David Diaz Infanta, who's just one of the most uh, nicest human beings ever. He was actually in front of me, and, and he gets hurt towards the end of spring or into training camp. And he's kind of he's an older guy, he knows he's done, and he he literally coached me throughout the entire year to where I, during the game I'd be coming to the sideline, Alex would be standing there screaming at me, and I would just walk by him. I wouldn't even talk to him during the games. And I just walk over to David and say, what'd you see, man? He goes, I know you're good. You're good. You, you know, maybe take a little bit bigger step here. You got a little bit of leverage there. And he just talked to me. And he's now a high school football coach in California. He's on modern doing a great job because he's just kind of that kind of guy. And he's, he really saved me. Wow. Yeah, Dan, speaking of that, who is your best coach at balancing, you know, the tough love and the rah-rah stuff, but also a guy that pull you to the side and talk to you like a man and calm <laughs> actually know what you're doing wrong like an adult. Well, uh, hands down, the best man I ever played for is Gary Kubiak. Not even, not even close. 
Um, the way I can describe Gary is, is he was never a tear you down guy. He just wasn't Gary. Gary's a quiet guy. Um, but we would have games where we would not perform well. And again, he was offensive coordinator. We'd go into the meeting room and uh, as a unit, so just be the offense. And he'd get up there and he would say, you know what, man? And he'd have it on film. He goes, you guys sucked right here, right here, right here. And he'd point out where we did suck. He was right. Then as soon as he finished that, he would stop. And then he'd put on another film, another or another piece of the film. And he'd say, and guys, here's where I sucked. That was a terrible call here, here, here. And he'd own it. You know, I can't tell how many coaches would, you know, yell and scream and never own any of their mistakes because they wouldn't want to admit it. But Gary was a, he was a strong enough guy to admit it. And, and you respected him for it. At least I did a great, great deal because um, he's right in both accounts, you know, and uh, he's probably too hard on himself sometimes. But uh, as, a, as a player, you respect the guy a lot. When you're at the Combine, Dan, do you hear about what's going on with other players, other position groups, or are you in a bubble? Uh-oh. We lose Dan. Dan? Dan. Yeah, sorry about that. I I lost you there. Um, I think I heard most of the question. And you, and yeah, like when you're at the combine, do you, do you hear about what else is going on? Any like superlatives or, oh, that guy really screwed himself? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, like like Orlando walking out spread like wildfire, you know, or, or what guys do. So-and-so did so many on the bench press, you know, or ran in this 40. Yeah, well, that stuff just travels quickly. Uh, so, yeah, you hear about all that stuff. And, again, as you mentioned, you spend all your time in your little group. But it's any any social setting. Gossip travels fast. But uh, there's really not a whole lot of it. You know, honestly, it's nothing shocking going on. It's sort of, you know, the media will talk about what they do. But most of the stuff is kind of what you expect. I mean, today, guys train and prepare so much for it. That's why. So there is nothing shocking happening. Because that – that draft, you were there with Bryant Westbrook, your, yeah. your Texas teammate who ended up going fifth overall to yeah. the Lions. Um, Tony Gonzalez was in your, yeah, was in your. Uh, do you remember any, uh, you know, any little stories from your time at the combine where you were? you know, commiserating with other players like Brian. <laughs> you know, honestly, like I didn't see Brian really, you know, you, you're sort of broken up by your position group in yeah. your pod and at night you're running around so much. You're not really hanging out at the bar, having a beer, you know, you're just, you're run ragged. Um, and so I spent most of the time with my little group and you know, there's one buddy of mine that I he actually played a couple of years as a guy named Tim Cohn from Iowa State that I, I'll talk to once in a while. I was in our group, you know, uh, and, and you do make some friends and, you know, some longtime friends in that that uh, that setting. And, you know, you have you have all kinds. You have the guys that, uh, you know, really love themselves and the other guys are just kind of happy to be there trying to you know, make their dream come true. And uh, it, it, it is interesting as you, you meet these guys that you've seen for years, you, you know, some you played against, some you haven't. And so it, it kind of opens your eyes to this whole NFL thing. And then, of course, when you go to the, uh, the symposium, which they do a little bit later after the draft, it's a little bit more of a relaxed setting where you really start to get to know these guys. 
Yeah. Do you remember why the Broncos only had three picks in your draft? Trevor yeah. Price, you and Corey Gilliard. Do you remember why they only had three picks? Yeah, they had um, they had traded some away, and they'd obviously had a loaded team. They had the number one record in AFC the year before. Obviously, lost to Jacksonville. And, and here's the interesting thing. You know, this is like sort of your, your oh, welcome to the NFL moments. And so I, Trevor was a guy you may not remember out of Michigan and then ended up at Clemson. It's a fantastic player, great guy um, that, that we drafted in the first round. And they got me in the third round. I think, Corey, they ended up drafting in the fourth round, I believe. Yep. And then That's we right. had a couple of free agents. At the end of that season, three rookies made that team, and Corey Gilliard was not one of them. They cut Corey, and then a guy, David, out of UW, ended up as a defensive lineman, made the team. Who they cut it next year. And then we won the Super Bowl. So that shows you how many rookies we needed. Trevor played some. I didn't play at all, and, and David didn't play at all. So, I mean, just kind of that that's how tight it was and talented that team was. There, there wasn't a ton of needs. Dan, Trevondre Sweat, he's going to have to weigh in. I know teams are afraid of what he's going to weigh at. And as good as he was this past year, Outland Award winner for best defensive lineman in the nation, that's the thing that's always going to haunt him. Like how difficult is that for a guy of his size to just maintain your weight throughout your career? I can't speak to that. I never weighed what he weighed and never had that much trouble. Well, my, my trouble maintaining my weight was the other way. I was too light. <laughs> I always keep my weight up. And, and look, I, I don't know Trevande. I, Trevande, I, I hope he has a fantastic career. But the weight will become an issue if he doesn't get it down and he doesn't do well in the combine. Remember, he knows this date. You need to be ready for it. That shows that you are taking this seriously. And it's not a, hey, I'm just going to show up here and do this thing attitude and that ain't going to work. This is a job. Um, and, you know, he certainly can weigh what he weighs, but, you know, he's got to be able to move out there and show some athleticism with that weight. I, again, I, I, I would argue if whatever he weighs, if he weighed 320, he'd probably move a little bit better and still be as dominant. But, you know, it, we'll see. That's, that's to be determined. So, Dan, you played um, with, Casey Hampton and Byron Murphy is a guy who his stock is rising because he looks exactly like Aaron Donald. I mean, they're both six, one, three Oh eight cut out of stone. Um, you watch that interior line play way closer than most. What do you like yeah. about Byron Murphy's game? A lot of it. Uh, he is a fantastic player. Uh, I, I kind of lean to he may be the highest guy taken in the draft from Texas. I don't know. He's he's I think uh, you're right. he's going. I think he's going to be a, a stud. Uh, he can move. Uh, strong guy plays with an edge. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to compare anybody to Aaron Donald, but he he can play inside, and I think he's going to make the team really happy. Is it just like? They talk about hand positioning and yeah. footwork and leverage. Talk about what they're talking about. So, you know, it, it, the whole hand thing is basically it's just leverage. You know, Chip, if, if I get a little high and you get underneath me and you get your hands underneath my chest, my shoulder pad, and you lift, you'd be able to drive me back, you know. 
Uh, it's and so if you're a defensive lineman who's big and strong, and you get your hands in the right place on the offensive lineman, I don't care who's in front of you. Tight hands underneath the offensive lineman's pads, low hips, drive. You're taking them backwards every time. And if your hands aren't in the right spot, like if you've just been able to waddle out there and just fire off the ball with your chest sticking out and run people over your whole career because you're bigger than everybody else, well, they ain't going to cut in the NFL. If you don't get down low, get your hands in the right spot, you ain't going to make it. So that's why they like these guys that have the hand placement because it doesn't matter what you weigh. you got to be strong enough to be in, to, to do it once you get there. But if you ain't getting there, it doesn't matter how strong you are either. you got to get, get in the right position first. Yeah. Who was the best player you faced with that type of, you know, body frame? Russell, Mar- Russell Maryland. Yeah. yeah, he kind of reminds me of that kind of guy. I mean, Russell's a nose guard in the league at, you know, 267 or whatever, and he'd whip your ass up and down that field. Uh, he he could bring it, and he couldn't get underneath him, and he just was in the right spot, just knew the game. And, and a nice guy, actually, but not a guy I really enjoyed playing against because he was damn good. Yeah. What uh you yeah you so the uh the offensive line at Texas right now, Jake Majors is coming back for his fifth year. You played some center, you played guard, you played everywhere. Um what do you like about Jake Majors? Because he had his best year last year. Yeah, he did. He did. I, I like him. He knows what he's doing. He, he gets in the right spot. You know, the only thing I question is that I have to watch a little closer. Does he have quick enough feet to get it done at the next level? Uh, you know, um, and, and I, look, I, I give a lot of credit to Flood. I mean, you just said he had his best year. You were saying this about all the offensive linemen. You know, Flood's done a fantastic job with these guys. They're all playing at a high level and, and playing well and – Guess what? They won a lot of games. Well, go figure, you know. If you, if you can get those five guys up front playing, it sort of works everything else out. And, and they have done that. And Jake was definitely the the kind of the leader, not just because he was a center, everyone likes that, but he was the veteran out there. That he has the most experience. You know, he was a guy that I think kept everybody on the same page and, and going in the right direction. So he strikes me as a pretty intelligent guy as well. So I think there's a lot to like about Jake. Well, and Christian Jones, I thought he was done after he played left tackle in in 2021. And then Flood moves him over to right tackle. And, heck, he's at the Senior Bowl and seen as a guy who could end up being a draft pick. What I mean, is it is that weird? Or are oh, some yeah. guys no. just left well, side I- and right side? No, no, no. I, I, I think what it is, I don't even matter what side he played. He always had the body. He just didn't know what he was doing out there and, and struggled mightily. And I was with you. I was like, this poor guy just didn't, you know, isn't going get, to get it done. And then all of a sudden he got a coach and he got really good. Uh, and the right side is a little bit different, but I think more than the side is it's the coaching. Someone taught him how to play. And he has the body and he, and he worked at it. Give the guy credit. He had to put in the time, work, and effort, not lose his confidence, and just keep plugging away to where I think he's got a shot now. If you would ask me that the first time I saw him play, I said, that guy's never going to play in college. Uh, so, I mean, give him a lot of credit. And Kelvin Banks, this could be his yeah. last year at Texas. What What do you like about him? Everything. Yeah, he's he's so good. <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a top ten pick. I mean, 
you know, maybe the only drawback is his strength. And I just say that because he's he's not just a mauler, but he doesn't need to be. He's got great hands, pass block, he's so smooth, all that stuff. I don't think that matters. He he can do everything you want out of a left tackle and he's he's a he's gonna be a high high draft pick. Is it like his when you talk about footwork for a for a left tackle, what do you have to have? You know, there's some guys. One of the most interesting guys to watch is Jonathan Ogden. He's huge, man. But when you watch him move, it's just like he's gliding. It's like you don't even see his feet moving. His whole body's just still, but yet he's sliding all around and just so smooth. And he's just never in the wrong place. And then when he gets there, you don't see him trying to, you know physically work to get back in his kick and then stop and then try to block the guy. He's just kind of always in the right spot and then gets his hands on you and you're done. And it's just sort of, it's the same thing every time. Yeah. I mean, was a monster. Oh, God, he got so good. <laughs> How big is Eight, six, nine? Yeah. Six, nine. And, and I forgot what, it, I think it was shot put. Like he was one of the world-class, he was a world-class shot putter or discus throw maybe i forget which one and um they used to do this these drills and he still has a record for one of these like little quickness drill at that size and, and his quickness was a freak i mean he's just unbelievable um how well he can move at that size so i'm in vegas and i'm at the hard rock hotel casino and i'm there with a couple of buddies and all of a sudden we walk up and there's Jonathan Ogden at first base at a blackjack table and Lorenzo Neal, former fullback yeah. for the Bengals and, and Titans. And Lorenzo Neal cannot lose. And he's betting, you know, he's increasing his bet. He's betting 400, then 800, then 1,000 and 1,500 a hand. And he won like 12 hands in a row. And by the end, he was betting like 5,000 a hand. And Ogden couldn't win a hand and so ogden finally is like mother and he slams his fist on the blackjack table everybody's chips like jump three feet in the air and the pit boss comes over he's like sir sir and ogden's like can i get a card can i get a card are you looking at this and yes sir yes sir i was like because when ogden stood up you know, he's like six nine, but with the pro, he's like yeah. seven feet tall. And <laughs> he's like three thirty and he's cut up and, <laughs> and and Lorenzo Neal's just laughing at him. Yeah. Lorenzo yeah. Neal. He probably uh, won like forty thousand dollars. And he needed it too. No, just kidding. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. That's oh, funny. <laughs> Anything else, Dan, that uh I mean, first I'll ask you anything about the Longhorns football team. You know, spring practice starts March 19th. Obviously, Quinn Ewers coming back, but anything, you know, Sarkeesian gets the $10 million uh, per year contract. Your thoughts on on that? It, it Hey, it's what the market is. I mean, he certainly has earned it and deserves it. He's one of the best coaches out there. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, you know, we needed to be in a position when we went into the SEC where we had just won the Big 12. 
uh, that we were kind of peaking and we had the right pieces in place. And, and that's where we're at right now. And the, and the key piece is obviously your head coach. And, and doesn't hurt to have it back another year uh, as we head in, into the SEC because – I mean, it's it's a prime time. Saban obviously stepped down. I mean, Georgia's Georgia, and we play him. But I mean, it, it, it's just we're if we were if, if when we announced the SEC transitionship, could you have written a better position or scenario for Texas right now? You know, no, it, yeah, it's a little it's perfect, surreal. right? Yeah, it yeah. is. And we were worried, you know, because you know, us have been watching this a long time, and you as well, Zay, is you're like, well, I don't know if we can get this thing straight in time. I mean, we've been so bad, and then. We were able to do it, and, and, and Sarkeesian, who got paid, was the one that did it, so he deserved it. And AM, I think they got rid of Jimbo when they did because Texas was surging the way they were. No question. There's no question uh, that that they knew that they had to keep up with Texas because, I mean, look, I, you can, Aggies can say what they want. They, they are looking in their rearview mirror at us all the time and everything. That's how they judge themselves. And, and, and unfortunately, the, the only sport where they have a winning record against us, I think maybe is women's soccer, but I could be wrong, but it's just one sport. And then we want, we've got a winning record in every single other varsity sport. So it just shows you where A&M is compared to Texas. Yeah. Dan, last one for me. Russell Wilson went on the podcast with Brandon Marshall and talked about how he wants to be back in Denver. How do you think that situation is going to play okay, out? Okay, Zach, I'm, I'm going to cut you off right now. We're not going to talk about anything Russell Wilson says because it's all a bunch of BS, you know. I've never <laughs> met the guy. I've never talked to the guy. And this has nothing to do with my allegiance to the Broncos. This is just me sick of listening to this guy. You know, when he came out early in the year or no, at the end of the year after they benched him and said, well, they tried to tell me that if I didn't take a pay cut, they were going to bench me in week, whatever. Right. You know, remember when he said this? And I said, that's a lie because you can't do that. It's illegal and that the NFL will come down on you. And then afterwards, you heard the PA and the NFL said, well, we're going to look into that. Well, they looked into that. Guess what? They didn't find anything. He lied about that because he was trying to put himself in the position to make the Broncos look bad. Now he's saying, oh, I want to come back to Denver because he knows they're about to dump him and he wants to try to make the Broncos look bad and him look good. It's all his PR team trying to spin this thing to where Russell doesn't look bad. At the end of the day, Russell didn't play well. Players didn't like him. It it didn't work. It happens. Move on. But what I get sick of is him trying to burn Denver down on the way out to build himself up. Well, if you want to build yourself up, play well. That's how you build yourself up. You don't do it by burning someone else down. And that that's his tactic. I don't agree with it. I think it's time. Uh, I think that, I think the Bronco fans and everybody just be happy to see this thing move on. All right. So who uh, do they have a quarterback on the roster? Or are they going you know, to have to? I, I don't know, but you know, you know, when you have something as bad as it's been with Russell, it, it anything's better than that. You know, and, and and it's not like I hate the guy. Don't don't get me wrong. He's played well at times and done some things, but it, it's just been so bad in Denver the last couple of years that I don't care who it is. Just get somebody else in there and let's move on. Yeah, yeah. Because you just went back for your what twenty fifth. Yeah, yeah, twenty fifth of the Super Bowl forty three. Twenty fifth anniversary Super Bowl team. Yeah, yeah. So you got kind of an up close look at everything. Yeah, well, I mean, we didn't really talk a whole lot about that. We were talking about more about, you know, just telling old stories. But 
um, certainly spoke a little bit about it. And, and I, I had heard from guys in the know more than me that it was not working out. So, and, it, and I think that's very evident in the way that they, they ended up finishing the season and the way really the last two years have gone. And, and look, the Broncos are, are in a position where they need to get things fixed up and straightened out. They got the owners to do it. They're going to get there. Just these things that Texas shows us, sometimes it takes a little time. First, you got to get the right people in, in the right spots. We get Del Conte, we get Sarkeesian, we get good. They got the right owners in the the, the Walton family, the, the Pinner group. Uh, I think they're the right coach in, in – uh, 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 I can't think of right name right now. <laughs> and, and so I think they got uh, Sean Payton, excuse me. So I think they got the, the right combination that now they just need to get the right players in place. Is John Elway doing anything with the team? No, uh-uh. John's playing golf and enjoying life. Uh, no, he, he, yeah, he kind of stepped aside when the Penner group bought the team and kind of let them, when, when Bowl and family sold it, and let them do what they want to do. And I think it was more out of it's time for me to move on and, and let a fresh start. You still yeah. got the dealerships, though, right, Dan? I, I think so. I, I didn't really check on that, but I think he does, yeah. <laughs> well, Dan, I love I love hearing the Dan Neal stories. They're uh, <laughs> legendary. Um, well, I no one else will listen, Chip. So I appreciate it. Oh yeah, we'll 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 give you an audience, baby. Anytime you want, let's do it again soon. Hey, I'd love to. I'd love to, guys. I appreciate it, and you guys have a, a great afternoon. Appreciate All right, you, there he is. And Neil, right. greatest player ever to wear number sixty nine at Texas. You know what I'm saying? Ah, legend. Uh, Dan always cracks up when I say that, but Dan was. Dan was no joke. I'll tell you that. Oh yeah, that dude. Go watch the. Uh, go watch that '96 Big Twelve title game. And uh, watch Dan's crushing block on uh, Priest Holmes' last touchdown run in that game. It's uh, it's pretty impressive. The one thing I'll say about John Makovic, who was an odd bird, and certainly, as I've said, he and I. He didn't like me much because I wrote that story about Lavelle Pinckney, but yeah, he said, Dan Neal, and this is after being a coach with the Cowboys, head coach of the Chiefs, he said, Dan Neal is the best pulling guard I've ever seen. So there you go, Dan Neal. Guy will never, he's so humble, never say anything. But um, we're going to talk to our man, uh, Hank South, coming up here in a second. But let's get a couple words in on our sponsors. You see this? Got my Brain Vault hat on today. The mouth guard that is revolutionizing the industry. We're talking about a mouth guard fitted for you by Austin's dentist, Dr. Greg Eckert, Dr. U-E-C-K-E-R-T. And Brain Vault, I mean, he's adding to his staff to accommodate all the demand for the brain vault mouth guard proven patented to reduce the effects of concussion. And if you're the competitor, uh, maybe you're playing flag football, uh, beer league basketball, you need to protect yourself. Uh, any situation where you could possibly uh, be dealing with a concussion, you need to protect yourself with the brain vault mouth guard cheerleaders, lacrosse players, um, you name it. This is the days of going and getting a piece of rubber at the sporting goods store and boiling it in a pot and sticking it in your mouth. Those days are long gone. 
Um, this mouth guard is high tech. It is, look, that's what it takes to protect you, protect your brain. Brain vault mouth guard. Um, maybe you're the coach. They do group fittings. Uh, they'll come to you for group fittings. Just go to brainvault.com to set up uh, your appointment and Apple leasing. Apple leasing, getting you into the car you really want to be driving. Um, they lease every make and model of car, so they don't care what car you pick. That's different for a lot of you uh, who would go to a, a dealership or a used car lot and you know, you're going to deal with you know, whatever they're trying to sell you, well, Appalese wants to just make sure you're happy. And if you want to change make and model of car two, three years into your lease, no problem. Um, it's called the easy lease for a reason. They they just want you to be happy. And if you had a bad leasing experience in the past, you probably leased from a dealership where they're not going to give you that flexibility. So appleleasing.com, it just makes too much sense. Oh, and by the way, you're not paying for the future trade-in value of that car. You're only paying for the car while you're driving it. So you're getting into a better car than you thought you could afford. That is the, that's the sweet spot right there. Just uh, give them a call, 346-9977. Uh, visit appleleasing.com. Tell them Chip Brown sent you. And of course, our man, Tom McKay and audiovisual consultations, making sure that when you're ready to get the big screen of your dreams, maybe some surround sound, new lighting, electronic shades, surveillance, there's only one call to make, 255-8678. Let Tom and his crew bring everything to you. avconsultations.com. All right. I see our man, Hank South. In the waiting room, Hank South, recruiting guru, horns247.com. Hank, how you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are y'all? Good. Did you watch that uh, Texas Texas Tech basketball game last night? Yeah. That was, uh, I was not expecting that performance, but, I mean, man, it was a fun game to watch. Yeah, I mean, they took it to them out there in the snake pit. Lubbock, Texas. You know what I'm saying? It's been a rough going for uh, Tech and Big 12 finales with Texas in all sports lately. I mean, the embarrassment in Austin from football and now basketball. There was Tommy Tommy Yarish posted something about all the uh, the outgoing Texas Tech defeats. There's like three other sports that that have done it, but yeah, it was a uh, was a good bounce back win for them um, in a game they needed. You know, coming off that loss to Kansas to keep their tournament hopes alive. Yeah, and Brock Cunningham gave him a little something to think about on the way out. <laughs> I know, like, how about, like, the wherewithal to, like, in that moment, in that kind of go going for the ball, uh, <laughs> to, to realize that that's the guy he needs to retaliate against. Uh, that was pretty impressive. No, I mean, he does, he does, a, does a pretty good body check. But, uh, man, pretty wild. I started to, I was watching it and then I started to do something with, uh, we were putting our kids to bed or something and I came back and it was the same score. I was like, what happened? And I, I rewinded. It was just like 10 minutes of nothing, yeah. just trying to determine what was going to be the foul call and fans throwing stuff on the court. It was wild. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was wild. Um, all right. So Steve Sarkeesian, the $10 million man. Um, 
two new coaches, uh, Kenny Baker, defensive line coach, Johnny Nansen. Um, I'd like to check in with you, see what you're hearing about those new coaches yeah. and how they're taken to the recruiting trail. Yeah. And so, you know, with February being dead, obviously these, these coaches can't be out on the road. They, they can't go back out on the road until um, until mid-April. But um, obviously in, in a few days, the the, the dead period is going to lift and they, they can host visitors. So, you know, we'll see more of a in-person impact um, then. But, you know, in the limited window we had um, in January, you know, Johnny Nansen got, got hired in time for that junior day um, on January 20th. And you know, when we, when we caught up all the kids after that, just leaving campus, I mean, it, that, he was probably the coach we heard about most, you know, behind Sark in terms of, you know, the guys they had positive interactions with. I mean, all the kids had good times and, you know, met with their respective coaches. But, you know, we talked to, to Anthony Williams, the the, the Texas commit, uh, the linebacker commit, and, you know, he was he was raving about him. And, you know, probably their top linebacker target overall in, in Riley Pettijan, you know, that was a guy that, you know, we, we needed to check in with after Jeff Choate left because, you know, that, that probably could have hurt Texas, but, you know, it sounds like Nansen's only helped Texas even more with, with Riley Pettijan, who's uh, that borderline five-star linebacker from McKinney. So um, everyone's just talking about his football knowledge, his personability or how personable he is. Um, just seems like a really great addition um, and, and is going to be a big plus on the recruiting trail. And then, Kenny Baker, you know, uh, he, he came in a little bit later. He wasn't there for that junior day, um, but the reception's been pretty positive. Um, you know, he had a chance to go out on the road a little bit right before that that dead period kicked back in. Um, he saw a handful of guys in state. You know, he's reached out to some other defensive linemen. We, we've seen him offer a few guys. Um, they offered an Auburn commit this week, Malik Autry, um, out in Alabama. Um, so, you know, he he's starting to kind of make his presence felt. And, you know, I'll, I'll be curious to see, you know, how he's received once, you know, guys get back on campus for visits throughout throughout the spring and, you know, uh, you know, see him kind of um, come into his own on the recruiting trail as well. He's a, he's known as the poly whisperer, um, Johnny Nansen, yeah. that is. Um, any early indicators, any targets in the Polynesian community? Who- yeah. Yeah. Um, and the I will say uh, the one kid that I'll be interested to see. I need to make sure I'm pronouncing his name right. He's actually in the 2026 class. He's out at um, Bastrop High School. It's been a while. So hold on one sec. I want to make sure I say his name right. Bastrop. Uh, Bastrop's got some guys. Uh, yeah, I heard. I've, I've been yeah. hearing because I saw Sark there. He took a picture with the coach earlier this year, and I was like, Bastrop. Yeah, and we yeah. know Alfred Collins is from the Bastrop area, but man. I know it's still weird to me that, that Cedar Creek High School is like Bastrop ISD, but it's like right by the airport. It's kind of weird, or just past the airport. Uh, yeah, it's like in the middle of Del Valley and Bastrop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tiki Hola, that is, yeah. He was actually at Junior Day as well, so you know I'm kind of just speculating in terms of you know Polynesian, but uh, another one, Peter Lange, he's an offensive lineman from. Uh, from California. And, you know, the coaches mostly, you know, they, they kind of stick to their positions in terms of areas, depending on, you know, where they're at, you know, Dallas and Houston are kind of different, you know, there's just big areas and and high, you know, hotbeds um, of talent that, you know, they kind of go out of their position group a little bit, you know, to, to uh, cover the whole area, but yeah, you know, yeah, I I think he'll be a big asset, especially, you know, maybe maybe if he's not like, you know, the primary on, on a certain kid, but, you know, just having him on campus and, and, you know, around, these visits and official visit weekends coming up once they uh, get going in, in the spring and summer. So, excuse yeah. me. 
Uh, you fellas at Horns 24-7 throughout the stampede this week. Hell of a job per usual. The way too early signings for 2025. And to Corian Moore is what stands out for me with that yeah. column, fellas. Uh, Hank, talk about him. LSU commit. He did big things or still doing big things down at Duncanville. What's it looking like with him right now? Yeah, so this is going to be an interesting one to follow. And I, I don't think it's – I think it will be similar in, in, you know, kind of in the same – way we saw Colin Simmons's recruitment go down um and you know in terms of timing um he uh I, I think he wants to have things wrapped up by the end of the summer and obviously you know he's committed to LSU so you would say you know oh, his recruitment's already wrapped up he, he's he's committed to LSU but you know obviously he's still listening to all these schools you know Texas is is heavily in the mix for him um uh he has he has family around the Austin area Oregon's another school we've heard has kind of been making some noise there and you know he's going to take some other visits as well but I would expect to see him you know officially visit you know all these schools you know probably in the summer I think June's kind of the target period for most of these guys and then you know take July to you know assess everything see how he feels about you know where he's he stands with LSU and and all that and then probably make a final final decision and I say that, and then, you know, you can take visits in the fall, but, you know, I think, I think he truly wants to have things wrapped up um, by the end of the summer. So I think Texas is, is still, you know, right there. We included him in the mock class, um, you know, that he's their top receiver target. You know, he, he's a guy they want in this class. You know, he's a guy that, you know, I, I was talking to one source, you know, there's a lot of talented wide receivers in this class, but, you know, there's only so much space this time around in, in this cycle. And they're not really going to, you know, it's, they're not going to wait for a lot of guys. DeCorey Moore is a guy they would wait for. Um, they're they're, they're going to recruit him as long as they have to, to try to get him. So, but then you look at some other receiver targets, you know, you know, if you, if you want in, you know, I, I think we might see some guys commit earlier than, uh, than maybe they typically would this, this cycle. Um, just in terms of, you know, there's so many guys out there. It's like, you know, who wants in first, you know, so, um, yeah, DeCorey Moore, I, I'm still projecting Texas. I haven't put in a crystal ball pick. I haven't taken that leap just yet. But um, I think as this plays out, I, I think Texas is is uh, pretty is positioned well for him. So you, you know, sometimes you can get a gut feel um, for how Texas is doing in the in the 2025 class. How how would you what's your gut feel right now? Yeah. It's it I it's very positive. Um and you know, again, it's hard to, you know, kind of make that assessment right now coming out of February just because it, it is the dead period. You know, there's just not, you know, we see offers go out, coaches can still recruit kids on the phone and you know, FaceTime with them and whatnot, but it's just not a ton happening. Um, but you look at their commitment list, you know, it it, it kind of it got going um, you know, towards the end of 2023. Um, they got that big addition in, in Lance Jackson after um, after Junior Day, and and you know there, there's you know they have a lot of there you know all the news this month has been visits getting lined up. It's like as me and Jordan Scruggs were talking about it the other day. It's like I've never seen a month where just the news is just visits. Like it's just constant. You know he's visiting March 13th. He's visiting his official visit set for June. So I mean everything's getting lined up. I, I'm keeping a running list on everything we're confirming on my on my stickies notes. But I mean th there's. I, I think it's very positive where they're standing right now. Um, you know, you, you kids are saying good things. You know, they, again, that junior day was a big success. Um, you know, again, they're coming off this playoff run. I wrote a story recently about, you know, everything Texas fans should be, you know, excited about in terms of recruiting entering this cycle and, you know, coming off a college football playoff run where, you know, you're one play away from making that national championship game. You're bringing back all this talent. Um, 
in, in 2024 ahead of your first year in the SEC. You know, there's there's plenty Texas fans should be excited about. And, you know, I think that's going to, you know, reflect on the recruiting trail as well. Yeah. Another thing, Hank, that's obviously reflected on the recruiting trail is the fact that the Horns have 11 guys at the NFL Combine. I mean, guys want to go to the next level after their college career is over and the next level is the National Football League. What players in the Combine are you most excited about seeing and putting out in drills and just seeing their measurements to where it's going to improve their draft stock? Yeah, I I think it starts with Devondre Sweat. You know, I, I think he's you know, the guy, I think that could probably boost his stock probably some of the most th- this week, um, you know, just with how he, how he checks in. Byron Murphy obviously is, is a good one um, to, to track. Um, I forgot, I was looking at the schedule. So his defensive lineman checked in today, right? Uh, yeah, they're, they're on the field tomorrow. Okay. And then wide receivers and quarterbacks are over the weekend? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see them all. I mean, I think as, a, as, a, as someone that's followed Texas for so long, you know, that. This, we haven't seen this in a while in terms of, you know, the, the, the they're going to have a, a really strong draft year. You know, it hasn't that's kind of been the knock on, on Texas in you know, the last decade is, you know, where where's the NFL talent? You know, they have guys here and there. Um, but, you know, in terms of like this big of a kind of a statement year and in, in putting guys in the league, this should be really beneficial for Sark. And, you know, the, the and, and really kind of shows he can kind of actually like tangibly lay out his vision and like what he's trying to do at Texas now that, you know, they're actually putting guys in the league because, you know, it used to be you write a story about Texas and he's like, Oh, they, they put out NFL players. It's like, well, they do. It's like that we haven't seen that many. And and now they are. And, you know, it looks like it's just going to continue with, with the guys they have, um, you know, in the wings coming up this, this year and the, in the years to come. Yeah. What, uh, what, uh, anything else in the top of your, recruiting notebook i know zay likes to ask you you know about hoops but any yeah. anything yeah um i actually one interesting real interesting nugget that um we were gonna yeah you know, i was saving for maybe the insider but you know maybe a little little preview to the insider i can always add more nuggets but uh or my portion of it but uh um landon rink the four-star defensive lineman um texas legacy his dad was a Played at Texas in the 90s, Shane Rink. Um, I don't think, you know, for, for a long time, it was, you know, this kid's going to end up at Texas. You know, he's a Texas legacy. He's close to people at Texas. I, It sounds like Texas might be out for him, you know, from, from talking um, to him this week. And, and uh, you know, he doesn't seem to be feeling Texas. Um, for whatever reason that is, maybe, you know, he did not feeling the love or, you know, maybe they're recruiting other guys. You know, we're still kind of digging in on that. But um, we have our crystal balls on Texas. I'm going to have to figure out a – a different school to put it on right now because I, th- I think he's he's leaning elsewhere which is surprising because typically you know legacy recruits and uh like that end up you know following their footsteps but sometimes it works against you you know sometimes kids want to do their own things and carve their own path so it, it it works against you so maybe that's the case of this but i think that was an interesting um little nugget we uncovered in the last couple of days um what else do i have written down i mean just official visits are getting set left left and right we've seen um uh, Emory Winston, the tight end commit, um, he just set his official visit for June 21st through 23rd. Um, K, uh, Caleb Chester, one of the defensive uh, backs from uh, uh, Fort Ben Marshall, he set his official visit for June 2nd. Um, the the uh, spring game list is getting put together. So, yeah, I mean, 
it's going to be, you know, when, when this uh, dead period lifts, there's going to be a lot more news kind of coming in and coming out with guys taking visits. And then we got Under Armour, um, Under Armour camps in, in Houston and Dallas coming up in March as well. So that's always kind of a big, uh, big news driver um, with all the uh, in-state targets there. And then one other interesting thing that came up today is uh, Pete Thamel was tweeting that uh, they're looking at uh, adding, they're looking at the possibility of three signing periods, one at the end of June, uh, one right after the Wednesday after the regular season finale in college football, and then the traditional February signing period. So that was an interesting, interesting take, you know, so I, I'm not sure. I, I I saw one response. It was like, you know, just leave it as a February signing period. Like it's just, your NCAA is just complicating it so much with, with all this, but um, yeah. So a June signing period would be really weird. I, I think, you know, I've always thought, you know, a summer signing period would be good, but then I look at the ease in which kids can just ask out of their letters of intent if they don't like a coaching change. And, you know, that just seems like it's going to create that much more chaos when the, when the coaching carousel fires up in, in late November. So I don't know. It's, it's a lot. So, yeah, yeah I was going to say, do you alleviate stress, but I think they're just going to end up causing more stress for, for coaches. Like, do, is there a scenario that makes sense to you? Yeah, I mean, mean, yeah, for a while I was thinking summer, yeah, get it locked in. But then, you know, after just this cycle in particular, we saw with DeAndre Robinson, you know, he obviously didn't like that Bo Davis left and and he asked out of his letter of intent, Texas let him out. You know, I think most times, you know, schools are going to, you know, they they don't want a kid that doesn't want to be there, Texas in particular. So, you know, I I think February makes sense. I, you know, honestly, moving the, the early signing period to December 4th makes sense. You know, it, it gives you a chance to, you know, finish that and then turn your attention to the portal. Um, whereas now it's, you know, portal opens December 5th. Sometimes certain teams, you know, the roster is just decimated and they have to, you know, figure out, recruit their own players and then obviously finish the two weeks of recruiting the high school guys they want. So I think it makes sense to, you know, move that early signing period a little bit further. But the more I think about it, I, I feel like the, the summer signing period might just cause cause more stress. But you know, maybe maybe it'll help. I don't know. <laughs> hey, they, they hang they out all the help they can get. Yeah. Yeah. Well, last one for me, Hank, going back to your Bama days. I'm seeing a lot of these mock drafts. Dallas Turner might be the first defensive player taken off the board, which, you know, I look at the dude from talk about Polynesian cats, oh boy from UCLA, who was just dominant this year. And I get it, SEC. Yeah, Latua, that's him. I get it, SEC Pac-12, a little different, but Dallas Turner, do you think he's deserving to be the first defensive player taken off the board? I mean, yeah, he, he's a stud. You know, I know Texas fans are, you know, they don't probably care for him much with uh, the hit on Quinn Ewers back in 2022. But, I mean, he he's a guy that I think is, you know, hasn't even, like, scratched his ceiling yet. You know, he he's – I think he has a ton of upside. So, if you're looking at it in that perspective – yeah, but I mean, just long, lengthy kid. I think I want to say, and I don't want to. I think his dad played. His dad's a basketball coach, but I'm not sure if he played basketball. But he has he has like a really athletic, you know, background. Um, and just you know, he obviously made plays, and you know, he was able to make an impact in the in the same you know lineup with Will Anderson and, and you know Braswell, who's probably going to be a late first rounder, I would think. Uh, is Braswell? Yeah, Braswell entered the draft, right? Chris yeah. Braswell. Yeah. Yeah. He was a senior last year, I think. 
Anyway, yeah. anyway, he was able to come in and kind of make his name for himself in a, in a pretty loaded edge rusher group at Alabama. So I think that says a lot too. But no, he, he's a he's a pretty solid player. Hank, you're the man. Appreciate we, it. Uh, we appreciate it, man. We appreciate yeah. uh, all the hard work at Horns 24-7. And you taking a little time for us each week. We appreciate it, man. Sure thing. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Say hi to the fam for us. I will. <laughs> we didn't have any visits from the from the kidlets today. No, I've uh, I figured out a I figured out a pretty good pretty good uh, method for for doing my my video stuff. So we're good. Well, yeah, you're welcome. A little anytime. bit of Jack Daniels in the baby bottle ain't hurt nobody. Hank, huh? come on, nice a little fun. old school. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Hank. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Um, I think that's what my parents right. did with me. Shoes. Oh yeah, I, that's a old school way. Put just a little, just a little bit, just a little taste, just a little taste, just to knock you out cold. You know. Yes Nyquil, or yes sir. Whatever. Yes or yes sir. All right, let's get to the commentary. Uh, before we do that, though, how about some, uh, how about some incredible like buffalo chicken sliders at cover three tonight. You know, you can go watch that Texas OU women's Big 12 title, regular season title showdown, Red River rematch, 6 o'clock. Because um, it's on ESPN Plus, so you know Cover 3 will have you covered. You don't have no ESPN Plus. And you're going to get incredible food. And, you know, Sean Adams' prime rib sandwich, you got, well, heck, you're still in happy hour at 6 o'clock. Get there a little early so that you got the uh, happy hour, 3.30, 6.30. You're getting $5 off the appetizer menu. I always love the crispy shrimp with the cocktail sauce. Um, but, man, you got all kinds of goodies on, on that menu. Uh, the ribeye tacos are to die for with the chipotle honey glaze. Oh my God, medium rare. Don't don't cook the flavor out of that ribeye. I'm so hungry right now. I may just get up and leave. Uh, but cover three, they got you covered. Anderson Lane up in Round Rock and cover two right there. And don't forget to make your, your brunch plans for the weekend. You got friends coming in from out of town. That's the great spot, the do-it-yourself Bloody Mary bar. Oh, yeah. And I know I bring up the muffin tops and people are like, oh, man, I'm makes me think about like a fupa or something. No, I'm just talking about the top of the muffin, the part with the best stuff, you know, um, that do it yourself. Bloody Mary bar, the, the muffin tops at cover three brunch. Come on. It's fantastic. Uh, or maybe you're craving a little seafood. I'm just saying. Salt Traders Coastal Cooking, um, right there at Zilker, up in Round Rock, oysters galore. If you love oysters, this is your spot, especially during happy hour. Dollar raw oysters. Are you kidding me? Best selection of raw oysters anywhere in Austin. Great seafood. Their scallops are amazing at Salt Traders Coastal Cooking. Uh, brought to you by our man, Jack Gilmore, who also brings you Jack Allen's Kitchen. All right, Zay. Tonight, 
It's an interesting night. We had big time Texas basketball last night. We got it a little earlier tonight. We got the Texas women, number three in the country, taking on OU. And this is the crazy thing. OU has been in first place in the Big 12 all through the conference season. And everyone's like, why are they only ranked number 20? They're 14 and two in Big 12 play. Well, this team had a stretch in late November, early December, where they lost five of six games, including a game to Southern. And uh, Jenny Baranchik, the head coach at OU, said, we were still trying to figure it out. And they don't have, of their top five scorers, they don't have anyone taller than 6'1". And they lead the league in rebounding because they all crash the boards. Their point guard is five foot three. Nevaeh Tot. They call her Tiny Tot. And she averages like, you know, she averaged four rebounds a game. Um, and she had uh, 3.4 or uh, no, 3.1 rebounds per game. And she had. 10 assists in the win over Texas back in on January 24th. And this member, this was the upset loss where Texas gave up 91 points, 33 more points than their season defensive scoring average, which is 59 points, 59.7. And Vic lost his mind. Remember he said, I don't care if I'm, the coach at Timbuktu, you're not going to play for me like that. And he was pissed about their lack of juice, their lack of energy, their lack of hustle on defense. And they got up the next morning and practiced at 5.15 a.m. and then had an afternoon practice. And they have not lost since. Now, the interesting thing about this game is that OU was in the exact same position a year ago where they're playing Texas at home with a chance to clinch at least to share the Big 12 regular season title. And Texas smoked them 67 to 45. And Jenny Baranchich was like, you know, we probably made it too big. We didn't handle it. You know, this this time we're just focusing on, you know, playing together, playing well, having fun. And because, you know, they're getting asked about, oh, are you excited about the possibility of cutting down the nets after beating Texas? And she's like, you know what? That is not the focus. So, you know, Jenny Baranchich is really good young coach. She's been at OU. I think she came in the year after Vic. And Texas and OU shared the Big 12 regular season title last year because Texas lost to Baylor right after they beat OU. And and so here we are again. And this is going to be really interesting because in the first meeting, Jenny Baranchic set up her offense with all those, with, you know, she doesn't have the size that Texas does. Texas has 6'4 Taylor Jones, 6'4 Amina Muhammad, and you know, Deanna Gaston at, at 6-2. And so Jenny Branch had set up her offense at the free throw line and backdoored Texas to death. 
and tried to turn it into a, you know, speed situation because she knows Vic's not going to play zone. Zay? But he has ever since then. He's played yeah. zone a little bit. He played it against Baylor. Like, matchup zone. The dude, look out for that tonight. Look out for that tonight because that's called adapting. That's understanding that, okay, maybe I might have to go against my grain of playing that high intense 94 feet, you know, man-to-man defense. Like, hey, you got to switch it up depending on the matchup you have and the personnel on the other side. And Oklahoma, like Taylor Jones really struggled in that game against Oklahoma. They were wearing her out. So I think she's going to be better tonight. And, yeah, this team, with Rory Harmon out, they need Shaylee Gonzalez to hoop. Like, they they need Shaylee Gonzalez to really get going. In the UCF game, I know UCF probably won't make the tournament, but she got going in that game, especially with her defense that turned into offense that led to breaks. And, you know, Vic Schaefer, he lets those girls run when they get steals and different turnovers. So, yeah, Shaylee Gonzalez, when she plays well, it takes Texas to another another notch. You know Shay Holly's going to bring it with her effort and tenacity. Madison Booker, game by game, is getting better at the point guard spot, you know, we all know she could score, but finding her teammates, knowing where they want the ball, knowing where Moore likes it on entry passers or where Joan likes it on different entry passes when they're posted up and stuff. And then Jones and Moore, their high-low game, it's always been immaculate. So, yeah, you can't allow Oklahoma to get you out your groove. You know, you want to control the pace and control the tempo. That's what Vic Schaefer coaches. That's the style he likes to play. And the Horns, ever since they played that team from Norman last time, they figured it out and they've been rolling. They deserve to be number three right now, looking for a number one seed in the tournament. Yeah, yeah. And we've talked about that matchup zone, man. It's impressive. That thing moves nice. And Yo, I'm all for the matchup zone. Like, I grew up on that. You heard my pops last Friday talking about the matchup and how, you know, he used to throw me back on that baseline and the matchup 1-3-1. One, one. And when I was playing the baseline, like, you saw everything. You saw your teammates, where they should be. You have to do a lot of communicating and stuff. So if you have that one player that could do those types of things, then I'm not saying the zone works all the time, but against certain teams, it could work for a while. So, yeah, Vic Schaefer, shout out to him for adapting and figuring out that, okay, our best defender is out for the season, so we're going to be hurting a little bit. How do we save our legs and also show that same intensity that I like but kind of shrink the game due to the lack of shooters on the other side? Yeah, you throw that matchup zone out, which it can confuse teams. You know, because it's a matchup zone because I can look like a man depending on, you know, who's out there. If I have a shooter out there and a good player that might cut in the zone, the normal zone, you stay in your own area as a defender. But in the matchup zone, you have the ability to go with certain people. You know, you just kind of pick and choose depending on the matchup. <laughs> so that's that's yeah, if you could figure it out and it could be confusing the defenses, too. That's why a lot of coaches don't teach it or run it. But, yeah, you don't know on offense, should I run my man offense or should I run my zone offense? Which one's going to work? You know, while you're figuring that out, that 30-second shot clock's going off, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you don't want them problems. So I'm excited, man. I love Vic Schaefer's team. Like, 
yeah, the Horns men's basketball team won last night, but if something devastating were to happen and they don't make the tournament, at least we got the Lady Horns having a huge chance to win the Natty. Like, Caitlin yeah. Clark, who? Come on now. Don Staley's the only one I'm worried about. Them girls different. In South Carolina, yo, them girls different. Then they, they got, got the it. white girl on that team that looks like a sister. Like, yeah, that, that girl, 21, I don't know what her name is. She be putting in work. I don't know where Don Staley got her from, but, yeah, them South Carolina Gamecock girls, they don't be playing. So, well, they, other than that, got, I ain't scared of nobody. Other than that, got, nobody. They got Kamato, the 6'7 girl. She's, Yo. She don't mess. Yeah, WNBA lottery pick right there. That yeah. girl. She gave Angel Reese serious problems when they played LSU, South Carolina. What's her name? Camacho? What? Yeah, uh, Camaro. Camaro. Woo. Yeah. (laughs) She's a problem. She's a problem. All right. Let's get to the right call. Let's get it. Let's get it. Before that, though, shout out to Covert B Cave, Covert Automotive Dealership, family-owned automotive dealerships that have been around for over a hundred years, man. Listen to that. A hundred years. You know how good you have to be to be doing the right thing and just killing it for over a hundred years? Like some people don't last three months, but Covert BK, they've been doing their thing for over a hundred years and it's because they provide the customer with just a high quality selection of new and pre-owned vehicles. You're going to find what you want. I'm a picky person. Uh, It takes a long time for me to pick a meal. So think about how long it will take for me to pick a car. They got that covered for you. They will hook you up. They will go through the process with you. They will figure out what exactly you need for you and your family at Covert B Cave. Beautiful 42 acres down at the Hill Country. Seven terrific brands to choose from. Chrysler, Buick, GMC, Cadillac, Dodge, Jeep, and Ram. You're going to be riding clean in Covert BK vehicle. Go to CovertBK.com for all the latest specials and inventory. Nobody beats a Covert deal. Not now, not ever. All right, Chip, going to do something a little different yesterday, or today, excuse me, because yesterday I was slipping. I forgot my big hat player of the game prediction. So I'm going to do this today and give y'all my big hat player of the game from last night brought to you by Big Hat Spirits. Go check it out at HEB, the margarita mocktail, zero alcohol, but man, it's one of the tastiest things that I've ever had in my life. Got a ton in the freezer, kombucha, sparkling water, real fruits and spices, none of that BS, preservative stuff, none of that, man. Everything's natural, everything's tasty. Lime, salt, and we got the uh, chili lime salt that you put on the rim. Go to Big Hat dot com check it out bighatspirits.com check it out for more info or go to heb and get your big hat spirits today my zay call your player of the game brought to you by big hat spirits gotta be brock cunningham baby gotta be brock cunningham i don't do this we always do prediction of the game i was slipping but something told me that you know what i'm gonna have to do a player of the game tomorrow to give that sponsor that love and it's only fitting that i give it to brock cunningham Just brock lame beer brock lame beer come on man you need those guys draymond green's going to the hall of fame on being dirty J- draymond green knows that 
He knows that he knows he's dirty. You know what I'm saying? He knows it's it's worth the fines. It's absolutely worth the fines for the four rings. He would say it's worth the fines. Bill Lambeer for the two rings. He would say it's worth all the hatred and people saying that he's dirty and stuff. You always got to have them. The Celtics teams back in the 80s. Danny Ainge, he was from BYU, might be a Mormon boy. He was down to fight anybody. Danny Ainge was flat out nuts. He was always about to squabble. So was Bird, but you have to protect Bird. Sometimes you got to protect those main guys. When Max Acemas went down by Williams with that elbow, Brock Cunningham said, you know what? Maybe not, maybe not in the first half, but I'm going to remember that, bro. I'm going to remember that. To all y'all hit me up on Twitter and said, Jay, you know, ball, that was 50-50. Yo, your love for the Longhorns is too deep to really – it's blinding you. And I respect it. We need that. That's why guys like Chip and I have jobs because of fans like that that don't see how Brock Cunningham's body check was flat-out dirty. I get it. I get it. Love your team. Love the burn orange. It, it makes sense. I love the burn orange too. But that was a dirty play. That, that, that was a flat-out dirty play. But hey, dressed up him. as a hustle play. Yeah, <laughs> I Is wish, he, man. The way he that he over. looked, like in the peripheral, he saw him in the peripheral, and then he went in. Like if Williams, if Williams, like like braced himself for it, it wouldn't have been as impactful. But Williams was going to the ball. He's thinking that, oh, this dude ain't no way he's coming to check me. He's going for the ball. You know, Brock kind of said, "Ham said, damn that man." This has been six years. Y'all been booing me, calling me trash online. This and that, just hating on my name. I've been seeing six the memes years. talking about. I've been seeing the memes talking about yo Brock Cunningham. Get ready for LinkedIn, your LinkedIn account, because you got no chance of going to the association or China. You know, you're gonna be a working man like the rest of the 99 percenters in the world. And you Brock Cunningham, okay, cool. See me on the court. And it wasn't just you know the incident that happened that changed the game at 10 minutes with a body check. Brock Cunningham was playing good basketball. He was playing really good basketball. He hit Dylan DeSue on a high-low action. He called him in the post and hit DeSue with a nice bounce pass where DeSue had him sealed and uh, got the dunk afterwards. You know, he was getting steals, diving on the floor, hustling, made a huge block that led to a Max Acemas three, and the game ended up being 35-17 at that point, 16-3 run by the Longhorns in the first half. I mean, Brock Cunningham was terrific. The only bad thing, I wish he didn't get kicked out so he could play the rest of that game because it wouldn't have been as intense with Texas Tech coming back. Now, a lot of that was due to the officiating, trying to tighten stuff up so it didn't get a little crazy in there. They got people throwing bottles on the court, a boy in the stands getting taken out the arena, arrested with the mulling and stuff. It was absolutely bonkers last night at United Supermarkets Arena. But you want to hear you want to hear what Brock said about it? Oh, he's talked. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's get it. I got to hear this. I think this is uh, Thomas Jones of the Statesman asking him. Oh, it's Eric. Eric Henry. Yeah, you know, that's that's a tough one. Um, just a chippy play, kind of balls right there. I thought maybe a flagrant. I definitely didn't think flagrant two. Um, just just happens. Key of the game, key of the rivalry is fun. Heat of the game, heat of the rivalry. It's fun. Yeah, I mean, Kendall Weaver said it was fun too. 
like yesterday, we was like with people throwing stuff on the court and saying all this and that. Kendall Weaver was like, yeah, yesterday was great. Or it was fun. Like playing in that game is fun, which that's why I was nervous going into this game. You asked me on a scale of one to 10 yesterday how I felt about this team. I gave you a three. It's because of what we saw when they played in hostile environments these last few weeks, when they went to the Fertitta Center in Houston and got blown out, when they went to Lawrence, Kansas on Saturday and got blown out. And given both of those teams have chances to go very far in the tournament, they're a lot better than what Texas Tech is, especially Texas Tech without their seven-foot big men. But Texas Tech is also going into that game last night 16-1 and at home. That place is a huge home court advantage like and one of the toughest places to play in the nation so that in itself to be prepared for that again i gotta give rodney terry love like it's it's tough to have these hard nose we're gonna put the lid on the rim practices and you know once the ball goes out of bounds it's still live type of you know practices it's tough during this time of the year it's tough to say that you know because again I'm looking at you like, yo, we got to save legs, man. Like Dylan DeSue, all we're working on is shooting with you. We ain't risking shit. Caden Shedrick, with your back situation, we ain't risking shit with I don't want to see the Home Depot belt. I can't see that Home Depot belt. And Caden Shedrick, 10 points, 8 minutes last night, getting blocked shots, 2 blocks, getting rebounds, man. Yo, shout out to him. Those big minutes. And you mentioned it early, you would like to see him a little bit more. I'm kind of confused why that didn't happen, but... Hey, you get the win. You put yourself in position to make the tournament still. Um, very impressed. You know, got to give you, credit where it's due. Do you agree with CB? The Brock Cunningham play looked exactly like the Robert Ory, Steve Nash play in the playoffs in 07. Um, very similar. Very similar. That was, gosh. Yeah, I, I still, David Stern, God bless his soul. I'll still never forgive David Stern for that. That was such a bad move because he suspended Boris Diaw and Amari Stoudemire for walking on the court because the NBA was still a little nervous about malice at the palace shit. So David Stern was all about making an example of any event that happened. He didn't want the league to look at, you know, people to look at the league as thugs and stuff like they thought of Ron Artest and Steven Jackson and Ben Wallace, et cetera. So David Stern in the playoffs thought it was the right decision not to just grip these guys for money like he should have. Like, man, find them, you know, five figures. Cool. Do that. Don't suspend them a game. You change the whole series there. Spurs fans won't admit it. I'll tell Spurs fans to the day that I'm six feet deep. They got lucky in 07. Because that Suns team, that was it. That that was Mike D'Antoni's chance, Steve Nash's chance, all those guys to get their first one because they were the better squad. But Robert Ory getting suspended for the Spurs didn't mean nothing. Amari and Boris Diaw being suspended for the Suns meant everything. And that completely changed. I want to say it was game five. Yeah, that was game five or something. Maybe game four. I don't know for sure. But – yeah, that, that changed the series, man. And David Stern, again, God bless his soul, one of the greatest commissioners in all professional sports, really changed the way people globally look at the NBA. But, yeah, he was way too afraid of some malice at the palace, just feedback. I don't know what the hell he was looking at, and that was a bad move. And Yeah, Chris, I'm, 
I'm with you. That does remind me a little bit of when Ori did that dirty shit to Steve Nash. Absolutely. Yeah, Ori admitted later it w- he did it on purpose. Oh, yeah, genius. Genius. And, again, it wasn't like Amari or a Boris D. I went to go check Robert Ori. They, like, stepped on the court and then went back. And then David Stern was like, nope, that's too much. Y'all know the rules. If anybody steps on the court and you're not in the game, you're suspended automatically. Like, you could change it. And you know Pop was going for it because Pop, competitor, he was like, hey, David, we're going to have a serious problem. These are the rules, right? (laughs) Robert already knew that. You're talking about a guy that was in the league already a decade plus, already had about five rings at the time, maybe four. Or maybe six. I don't know how many Robert Ori have. Seven. Yeah, he Seven. had. Yeah, he had six rings at the time. Ninety four. That was in game four. That was game four. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Change the series, man. Yeah. <laughs> Change the series. Like I. Wow. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. Like Nash was so good, and yeah, they had him, but. Mari Stoudemire is kind of important. Like, they hung his jersey in the rafters in Phoenix. You can't tell me he wasn't important. Come on. Tim Duncan, I love him, but Amari gave him fits. Absolute yeah. fits with that athleticism. Then Amari started showcasing the little mid-range jumper. So that pick and pop with Nash can't guard it. Then they pick and roll, can't guard it. You got to worry about Nash coming off the screen. One of the best shooters that we've seen at the point guard position. Couldn't guard that. Like, and they knew, like, Mike D'Antoni, they knew, and they were done. They looked like it afterwards also. D-U-N, done. Um, by the way, I uh, butchered our girl's name. It's Camilla Cardoso. Okay. Camilla Six Cardoso. seven center at South Carolina, Camilla Cardoso. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's if that, if the horns match up with them, Taylor Jones, Leah Moore, y'all better eat y'all's Wheaties because <laughs> that's that girl. Hey. Yeah, she ain't playing. Hopefully they're they're eating some Wheaties in Norman right now because in uh, three hours, Texas OU Red River rematch. Unfortunately, on ESPN Plus, but 6 o'clock. Yeah, come on, man. It's for the title. Come on. We've come came on. a long way with women's sports. This game shouldn't be on ESPN Plus. At least ESPN U. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know yeah. what's going on tonight, but that's at least ESPN U material. Give me the U. Give me the U. ESPN right. U? What's that for? Yeah. I see Megan and Rocky. We're getting ready to fire the cannon. I can't hear him. Uh-oh. Y'all Uh-oh. muted? Nope. Uh-oh. One Hold on. second. Okay. One second. Dun-dun-na-na. Uh-oh. Are y'all at Kevin Dunn's house? Uh-oh. No, no. <laughs> he always having technical difficulties. <laughs> Megan's like, no, no, no. Not at Kevin Dunn's house. All right. We can. We can. Y'all want to log back out and log back in? No. All right. Well, one thing to watch tonight, Zay, I'm just saying, is 
like you said, Shayla Gonzalez went off. She was six of 10 against Central Florida, and she had been struggling. Shay Holly was six of seven. Like, if they get that kind of production from the guard position, because Aaliyah Moore is from there. She's from Moore, Oklahoma, which is like literally eight miles from Norman. Wow. So this uh, this game means a little something extra. It's personal. To Aaliyah. She was like, hey, teammates, I need all your tickets. Need all your tickets for the OU game. Because I got mucho familia coming to the game. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Shay Holly, I think Vic Schaefer and that coaching staff is let her know, hey, we need you shooting that thing. You know, your role is different with Rory Harmon gone because a lot of those shots would have went to Rory Harmon. Now, you know, they're going to key in on Madison Booker and she's going to get double teamed, kind of like a lot like Max Aismas does when he comes off screens and stuff. So the others got to knock down shots when they're open. And Shay Holly, she has a pretty jumper. You know, it's high arc. Like, she's a knockdown shooter, but. Hello, hello. Can you hear us? Oh, there yeah. We go. Thank you. Oh, yeah. You know, we actually thought we might have figured out why we keep getting logged out. And today we think we figured that out and then our mic stopped. So <laughs> maybe we changed something with our with our other settings. But I'm well, free, Chip. Hey. How we was will... that Pitbull concert? Pitbull. Oh, man. I was pleasantly surprised. Yes. I keep telling people, go, it's a party. Just go, it's a party. You don't even have to know all the songs. You probably know more than you think you know because they're on the radio. But it's a party, isn't it? It is. That's what I was telling them. I was telling them, like, yeah, I'm taking my wife. I better get the brownie points. I'm like, yo, Pitbull rocks. Yes. And the dancers, OMG. The dancers are insane. The the visuals, the light, the DJ, like it is a the full band. It's yeah. a party. Did yeah, you go, was, Rocky, to that show? I went to like ten times. Anytime <laughs> 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 anywhere near this last Friday one though, we were out of town for. So I had gone a few weeks ago to San Antonio one, but um, so I, I've seen him. I don't know how many times with Jay Balvin and Enrique and all the different people that he always tours with. Oh, it's so fun! It's yeah. so fun. Oh yeah. Good job. Yes, I'm glad yes. you went. I, I was happy that I saw you went to that concert. Oh yeah. No, that was that was legit. I, I admit it. I admit it. Good, good. Go back. You'll trust me, you'll want to go all the time that he's coming. Good. Yeah. I have a feeling I'll be going. Good. Yeah. All right. <laughs> all all right. right, y'all. Thanks for, thanks for hanging on a few more minutes to help us out, I appreciate guys. Appreciate you. Of course. Of course.